Good morning. Uh, we are in week seven of an eight-week series, so we finish next week. We've been walking through a book in the Bible called First Thessalonians, and we've been specifically focusing in on what I believe is the central core theme of this book of the Bible, and that is this, faith, hope, and love. It's there right at the beginning. It's weaved all the way through the book. Even today in today's text, the words clearly are still there, even in black and white. Faith, hope, and love are in there. And we basically are saying this is soul fuel. Your soul is wired that it needs fuel. And the three central fuel sources of your soul are faith, hope, and love. Faith, meaning your soul craves meaning. It craves what is true. And if you do not find that source of fuel in its purest form by faith in Jesus, you will still naturally try and get it from another source. That sense of meaning and craving for truth is in every human. Then hope. Hope is this desperate, desire that every human in the depth of our soul is thinking about and longing for a sense of destiny, a sense of purpose. And if we don't find our destiny and purpose when it comes to hope in Jesus, we will still try and find it wherever we can, all too often in the wrong places. And then thirdly, love, well, that is quite clear. Every human intrinsically craves belonging and connection and acceptance and intimacy. And if we try and find the fulfillment of that in the wrong places, then we see the effects that that has. Faith, hope, love, this is the fuel of our soul. And this church that received this book all those years ago were amazing. And they were understanding the sheer benefit of living with a soul full of faith, hope, and love. And they were coaxed in it and navigating key themes in it. And today, I want to talk to you about the oxygen for your soul. Now, oxygen, in the literal sense, we're all grateful for. It's, this room's full of it. Outside's full of it. Aren't you grateful? Without it, you're dead. We need oxygen. And there's nothing about oxygen that you earned. You don't deserve it. You can't buy it. Although people try and sell it. What are you doing? Anyway, but with that, oxygen. We so need it. And yet our soul also needs something as significant as oxygen for the soul. And if we think that we're going to try and get it from any other source, there is something about oxygen for the soul that I want to talk about today. Now, I'll get to it after I give a few minutes of what I originally had planned to talk about when I got to week seven. What I had originally planned, I'm going to give in a real short version, because in my preparation, it became clear to me that I need to lean into this oxygen for the soul today it became much more apparent to me that this was the significant part of the text that I hadn't really highlighted, 
but then I saw people, felt what you were, many of you are going through, read through the prayer cards from Monday night, hearing the cries of our people, and then reading the text and going, oh wow, this is where we need to go. So if some of you are a little disappointed that I don't get to talk about pre-tribulation, mid-tribulation, post-tribulation, who gives a rip-tribulation, I don't go into that. Set an appointment, let's have coffee. Let me touch on the things that matter most. So we're in 1 Thessalonians chapter five. I'm gonna go from verse one through 11 in three sections. Section one is the section that I originally thought I would sit in and dwell in all the time, but I realized I could say it, what mattered most to it, and actually release a bunch of time which, with what I believe is really significant for all of us today. Here we go. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 1 through 3, for starters. Now, brothers, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman and they will not escape. Sounds not very pleasant. But if we take the whole context of the whole book, the reality is these people were longing for the day of the Lord, day of the Lord, the return of Jesus. They were so excited about it, so convinced it was about to happen real, real soon that they had questions about it. And last week's message revealed people who died in the waiting, they were worried about them, but they were longing for it because they'd read the, they'd heard the scriptures read to them that talked about the day of the Lord, this glorious day of the Lord when he returns and how unbelievably, amazingly exciting, restorative it's gonna be for those in Jesus. It's mind-blowing. The beauty, the grandeur, the feasts, the banquets, the celebration, the life we're gonna have at the resurrection at the renewal of all things. They're like, yes, yes. And then he says, guys, the when and the where, you don't need to know. You don't need to know. Now, with that in mind, whenever you start to look at and think, well, the Lord's return, some people get in a weird way obsessed with it. And I say in a weird way because it's a very effective way for the enemy to distract you from what Jesus has actually called you to do. Because it feels like I'm dwelling on really important things. But what it's doing is it's taking you away from the original intention for why God called you here and what he's called you to. And so with this in mind, it's really important for us to hear again what were the words of Jesus himself when he was on earth regarding his return. What is he saying then that he's saying to us now? And so I'm just gonna say, does it serve us well to have a position of whether or not the Lord will return pre the terrible times of the world, during them, or we live through them and after them. How does it serve us well? I'm gonna say this, there is biblical reason to have any one of them three positions. 
biblical reason. And some of you may think, I don't have a position. I, I relax. That's okay. Did Des really say that? Yeah, I did. Is Jesus returning? Absolutely yes. Have the core conviction. He's going to return and it's nearer today than it was yesterday. Okay, fact. And it's going to be glorious. But in the meantime, we have to have an understanding. What did Jesus say about his return? What did Jesus say? I'm going to bring just a few scriptures right now because I think it really sets a tone. And I believe that's why they were asking these questions, this church was, and what does it really mean for us to live with that sense of destiny? So the scriptures are all on screen. There's references there. If you want to understand what Jesus had to say the most about this, Matthew 24 and 25, he goes to town on it. And this is how he reveals it. First of all, let me read from 25 verse 13. Jesus said this, Therefore keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour. Jesus said, you do not know the day or the hour. Therefore, warning, if you get drawn into big discussion around, oh, we've predicted the date, we know the year, I'm going to say many people have in the past, and been very, very wrong. Some of you younger people were actually blessed to not have the weirdness that went around a few decades ago with the Hal Lindsey book, The Late Great Planet Earth, and all these things in return and the prediction of when the Lord will return and da-da-da, and it didn't happen. And what it did do was got a generation of people not reaching the lost. It got them all tied in to his returning. And this is what's warned against for the Thessalonian church. I'm not saying we can't see that the Lord, there are these labor pains going on, yes. But the Lord's revealed clearly how we are to live in the meantime. We live with the knowledge that he is gonna return. So that's some of you have forgotten that. And you're living as if he's not. So let's raise it again. But Jesus said, you do not, no, the day or the hour. Even the angels don't. Moving on, he then goes into like three parables. And these parables are all about this. It's the parable of the 10 bridesmaids or 10 virgins. And you've got this parable of talents and then you've even got this sheep and goats analogy. Let me just highlight a few words of Jesus in the context of what he was saying about his return because it helps us. Matthew uh, 25, a few verses from 25. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. Do you see the imagery here? A man going on a journey and he said to the servants, hey, here's what I want you to be doing. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. There's the imagery. I'm going to dive into all the parables, but hey, here you go. I'm going. Here's your call. Here's your mission. Here's your purpose. Get on with this. And then when he returns, he goes, so? They're speaking to us right now. Are we living in such a way that we reflect the king of whose kingdom we belong to? Are we living in such a way that we are fulfilling the, the mission that he has called us to? It's just clear. 
This matters to Jesus. Then in this context of sheep and goats and separation at the end time, into these words. Jesus said this, For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, like when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger? and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply. The king will reply. I tell you the truth. Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. Context. In the meantime, before his return, how are we living? Are we living, literally, learning his words, living his ways, loving like Jesus? If we live in such a way that we do not demonstrate any compassion and restoration and faith, hope, love for the least of these, he's gonna call you out on it. Fact. It matters how we're living life. It matters if we're living with a sense of a judgmentalism spirit. It matters. And you may have always said, oh, well, yeah, they've caused the problem. Jesus doesn't say that. He just says, go serve. Go help. Yeah, but yeah, no, hang on. He calls it. Then in Luke 19, he gives this other parable. Listen to the language. He said, a man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then return. Now, he's saying it then. The disciples are like, okay, good story. We know. Like, wow. He's talking of himself. A man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then return. So he called 10 of his servants and gave them 10 miners. Put this money to work, he said, until I come back. He's gifted us so much. Put it to work until I come back. But his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, we don't want this man to be our king. He was made king, however, and returned home. Then he sent for the servants to whom he had given the money in order to find out what they had gained with it. We don't want this man to be our king. That arrested me this week. You see, straight away you're thinking, well, that's all those people who are rejecting Jesus. They don't want to follow Jesus. They want to be king of their own life. They want to live according to their own rules and their own ways, and they don't want Jesus to be king. And it's very easy, yeah, 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 not me. Uh, really? Let me ask a very probing question. If it was possible for us to do an analysis of every single sphere of your life, would it demonstrate who your king is? Have we, maybe not in a declaration sense, said, yeah, Jesus is king, but he's not really king. 
in this, in this, in this. I don't actually believe he can transform this, this, or this. I actually don't fully believe what he said when it came to this, this, this. You wouldn't declare that, but by our actions we're declaring it. Who is your king? Now what he's saying in the middle of all this is, the king, in other parables, the master, the Lord is going to return. So, in the meantime, what are you doing? How are we living? Are we living in such a way that we know the king is going to return? Are we living in such a way of the things he's entrusted us to? Are we living in such a way to take serious the great commission? Are we living in such a way that we are the hands and feet of Jesus? Are we living in such a way that how our marriage is is a reflection of the king we worship? How our parenting is? How our attitudes to our fellow brothers and sisters in the church are? How our attitudes is towards those in our neighborhoods, in our nation, in our world? Are we living in such a way that it's clear who our king is? Because it matters to Jesus. This isn't a salvation deal. This isn't, oh, I'm going to go into one saved, always saved, and yes and no. Well, well, don't get me started on any of that. He's just saying, I've called you by name, saved, here we go, and until my return... Let's go. Live our lives in such a way. It doesn't say live your life in such a way to ignore all of that and just work out when he's coming and find your own theological position. Like that's going to change anything or anyone. I'm yet to find a single testimony of a person who said, well, you know what I mean? Once I had a specific doctrine on when Jesus was returning, everything changed for me. No, once you had an understanding that there is a king and he's gonna return, that changes everything. That changes everything. Now, with this in mind, let's get back to today's text. Verse four through seven of chapter five of 1 Thessalonians. But you, brothers, are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. Ah, now we're getting the tone. When you think of the future, what does it look like? Does it look dark or light? Is it filled with a hopeful, unbelievable, exciting destiny? Or is it so scary that you don't want to think about it? The condition of your soul and how you identify where you are right now determines how you look at the future. So if your posture right now is in darkness, that's real dark. But if your understanding of who you are is a child of the day, of the light, it changes it. Let's carry on reading. He says it again. You are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all sons of the light and sons of the day. This imagery is so clear. Kingdom of light, kingdom of darkness. Where are you? We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be alert and self-controlled. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. Weird line, you're thinking? Well, of course you sleep at night. 
It's all got to do with posture. Is your destiny darkness or is it light? Is that the resurrection of all things, the new day, or is sleep permanent darkness? It's a posture. Those who get drunk, get drunk at night. This is a real, this, Paul's teaching is clear on all of this. He talks about it in Ephesians. He says, don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. There's always a this, not this, a this, and then that. Being filled with the Spirit fills you, fills your soul with faith, hope, and love, and self-control. Now, with that in mind, you are not children living in the dark. If you're a follower of Jesus, the phrase, do not be afraid, do not fear, has real clarity when you understand how you look at destiny. If you look at destiny and it's dark, we need to help you with that today. Let me ask you straight, who is your king? Let me put it closer. Who is Jesus to you? This is not a who is Jesus question because you can intellectually, academically answer that question. I'm on about how you live life. Who is Jesus? If you've made him king, you've made him Lord, then that absolutely affects my relationships right now. It affects the behavior in my relationships right now. If he is king and he is Lord and my life is to be of worship to him, that means for some people right now, your posture today is gonna be a joyful opportunity to repent. To come back to the Lord and say, Lord, I wanna worship you. I've been sinning with this. And he is faithful and he'll restore you. So if you're sleeping with somebody you're not married to, is he Lord? Your health, is he Lord? Your family, is he Lord? It's not a threat question. It's a calling you to him question. I'm Lord. My way can be trusted. Faith, faith, I can be trusted. I am true. I can be trusted. And your future destiny in me is light, not darkness. Don't walk in the darkness. Walk in the light. He's not doing it to make you miserable. He's doing, it to, he's doing that to bring you joy. And it's his best. But you see, the enemy doesn't want you thinking about the future too much. Because he knows his doesn't want you to dwell on it. He wants to make the future scary because if we spend time really longing to discover the future, he knows you are gonna be unstoppable for the kingdom. So when it comes to your sense of meaning and destiny and belonging, who is Jesus? To you. To you. Let's continue, because of time, verse eight through 11 now. And this is the heavy, really joyful part. But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled, putting on, wait for it, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. 
This is back into verse one of the whole chapter one. It's unbelievable. So let us be, we will live in the day. So how do we live? Right, self-control. We put on faith and love as a breastplate. The purpose of the breastplate in warrior terms in those days was to protect your vital organs. Your vital organs take a hit, you are doomed. How do I protect my very vital organs? How do I protect my very being in my soul? Faith based upon the past, based upon what has been done for you, that God has done for you. Faith, this is true. And you put on love because that's your very present reality of how we learn his words, live his ways, love like Jesus. We put on love because love is the greatest of all of these things. Love overcomes fear. We put on love and then he says, but then hope, hope is a helmet of salvation. Hope is a helmet of salvation. Let me read from verse nine through 11, then I'll talk about this. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing. And that's what got me this week. My role right now in the few minutes remaining is to encourage you and to help build you up and remind all of you to encourage one another and build one another up. Your role as a follower of Jesus, if you know you are living in light and you are light, by the way, Jesus called you the light of the world and a city of a hill cannot be hidden. Therefore, let your light shine before men that they may see how you live, your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Some of you are still going, they look dark, that's dark. Stay away. Uh, Not true. We are called as the light of the world to go to there and rescue. Well, where did you get this? Look, read the Bible. Oh, I don't want to be contaminated by that. If your posture is the light of the world in me to go, re- to go rescue, he does the saving. Salvation means this, forgiven, redeemed, restored, justified, eternity secure. But if you don't give a rip about those in darkness, uh-oh. We have this a joy, we're, li- we're people of the day. To go, but if your perspective is, oh, it's all dark out there. Now, don't get me wrong. If right now you're feeling really insecure about yourself and this seems attractive, that's a whole different set of conversations. There's a temptation and a drawing away. But we as his people are called to let our light shine before people. So, Faith and love as a breastplate, but hope, the hope of salvation as a helmet. So I wanna talk about what is the oxygen for your soul? Hope is the oxygen for your soul. This came to me and I went, oh. We don't really talk about this much because hope's so unusual, isn't it? 
difficult to grab a hold of. Faith has got, this is what I believe, this is what I stand on. Love is, this is how I live. Hope, it's like catching water. It's true and it's refreshing, but ah, hope. And the enemy doesn't want us to dwell on the hope that we have as an anchor for our soul. He doesn't want us to, because hope has got everything to do about the future. Faith, past, hope, future. Love is the way. Carried from what he's done for us and where we are going. Our soul is actually being pulled into the future. Everybody's is. There's this pulling into the future when it comes to our soul. And we can't help. So I want to talk about this briefly. And my goal today is to encourage you in such a way because the reality that I see around me is many of you in this room today have elements of your life that are the opposite of hope. What is the opposite of hope? The opposite of hope is not hopeless. The opposite of hope is despair. The opposite of hope is despair and the location of despair is desolation. And some of you are looking in certain areas of your life and it feels like desolation, despair. I, it's just too painful. It's not working out. There's no hope. There's no help. I, I don't, and I just, I numb out to it or I ignore it. But the reality is it's affecting the condition of your soul because without hope in your soul, you die because it's the oxygen of your soul. It's the oxygen of your soul. So, we as humans have to believe there is a tomorrow to be able to function today. Otherwise, if you had this, there is no tomorrow, how you live today will be very different. And I know people go, live as if today's your last day. No, please don't. Like, don't. I understand the posture, but like, if today is my last day, I'm just telling you, there's no food left in my house tonight. It's all in my belly. <laughs> all of it. Do you know what I mean? And I'm going to live my life in such a, it's just, I understand the idea behind it. But if we do not believe there is a tomorrow, we can't function today. That's, again, this is a DNA desired way that our soul is pulled into the future. Now, if all we have is we just exist and then it's done, I'm gonna say the issue with that is a person's soul is malnourished. Their soul is malnourished if they just think I just exist and then I die. Because your soul longs for destiny and future. But how does that look right now? How does it really look? Without a future, there's no hope. Now, I want to just say this. Without hope, your only conclusion is despair. So looking into our lives right now, when we read the prayer cards from Monday night of people's cries, we hear the cries of the heart of our people there was so much despair. 
Here's the good news. Where did they choose to be on Monday night? <laughs> in the house of the Lord in prayer. So they weren't hopeless. Agreed? They still had some hope, but they were in a desperate situation, some despair, some desolation. For some of you, that was in your marriages, in your family. You're looking at the holidays, not with joy, but with loss. You're looking at it. There's people saying, I don't want to be with my family these holidays. There's a reason for that. It's not a joy. I, I don't, this, there's a lot, there was so much. It was very, very loud this week, the amount of relational despair that was going on. So can I just say, I'm not talking about just your prayer. There was a lot of you in that same situation. So we can stay in that isolation or we can bring it into the light and serve one another and help. That's why we're putting on Surviving the Holidays tonight. Like I'll be there tonight and it is a unusually joyful gathering because it turns the light on again. It just provides some hope to what is so hard. Now, with, with, with that in mind, I just... If there's no hope, there's only despair. Let me get practical with this. Some of you make a decision that I want to improve. I want things to be better. Your soul is pulling you into the future. And you want a preferred future. Marketing companies spend billions on this. Because they know the human is always longing for things to be better. Buy this better. Do this better, a preferred future. All you need is better. Here's a way for you to be super fit and healthy and strong without any effort. What? But you're buying it, you know? It's like everything's a preferred future. January will hit and you'll all go, this is the year. Better. January 15th hits, maybe next year. Do you know what I mean? Now, I play light of that, but I want to say this. It's part of who you are that you are wired to a preferred future. But how you perceive the future affects it all. Is the destiny one of joy and of light? Because whew, i got so much information in my head. All right. The reason that we are drawn into the future and Hope is here. Hope is the future. The reason is because hope lives in the future. Hope lives in the future. And it isn't that the future is uncertain. It's that that's where the promises are. That's where the promises are. And see, the posture of faith, his promises are there. And by the way, if hope is a future thing and faith is a past, this is why hope is there, is because my God is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the beginning 
and the end. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do you see this all going on? Faith, hope, and love all have to coexist all at the same time. It's all part of who we are. So let's embrace this reality of getting a fresh revelation of what God is calling us to when he says about living full of hope. And the full of hope is his promises are there and there is a destiny there that is awaiting us that is so joyful, so mind-blowing, we can't possibly imagine it. But in the meantime, he's called us to be part of his redeeming story because Jesus declares it in 1 Peter, 2 Peter, 1 Peter, 1 Peter 5, I think. He says, it is God's heart that none should perish but that all should be drawn to repentance. We have a role in that. It's beautiful, mind-blowing. Now, is it possible that when we internalize despair, it causes our life around us to be dark, doesn't it? There's no other way of displaying despair. And so the reality is, I want to put this to you, that for some of you today, it feels like you live your life in a cave. Stick with me. I use the word cave because whenever you say, what is a cave like, darkness comes up there on a description. Bats live in a cave. Say no more, yeah? Now, you know a cave has an opening and you know it's not a tomb. It's like I'm in a cave and all around me is darkness, and my circumstances, or maybe it's a part of your life, you're in a cave. I I can't get away from the fact that when Elijah had had victory on Mount Carmel, all of that's gone amazing. He finds himself ready to meet with the Lord. And how does the Lord come to him? Long story cut very, very short. In the still, small voice. The thing about living in a cave or living in despair is this. You know you don't want to be there, but you find yourself stuck there and you are craving for somebody to come to the entrance of the cave and go, come on out. Come on out. You're longing for hope to say, come on out. And you don't quite know how and you're stuck and maybe you put yourself in the cave and this is where I am, but he's calling you out. But I want to say this, the beauty of despair, which was revealed with some of you doing your prayers on Monday night, the beauty of of despair is that you find yourself in a spot where actually you can hear his voice. There's so much desolation, you can you can. You're in a position to hear his voice. It'll be a whisper. The comforting voice of hope isn't always about, hey, it's good over here, come on. So why do people not just go? The beauty of hope in the depth of our soul often comes in a whisper. Imagine a toddler falls over, grazes their knee. A good parent doesn't pick the toddler up and go, why did you fall down? I'm caring. I don't want them to fall down again. That's not how you do it. You pick them up. You tend to the grazed knee and it's okay. It's all right. You're not dying. (laughs) But there's a comfort 
and a voice. So when you're in a space of desolation and despair, the voice of the Lord is calling you out. He's calling you out, but it's his loving kindness that he's calling you out. And for you to have a perspective of your destiny that is joyful and full of light. Full of light. And some of you are in a cave, stay with the imagery, and out there is the opening to the cave and you're living facing this way. Here's the beauty of repentance. Repentance quite literally is a return to God's intention. And today the beauty of repentance is to turn and go, oh yeah. Oh, I've got so much to say. Okay. The last two verses of 1 Thessalonians 5, it's not on screen, let me just remind you of them. Here's the why of all of this. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. With him, the light of the world, with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing. Okay, let me land it. Because of time, let me land it. Many of your souls today need fresh oxygen, the oxygen of hope. Clean oxygen that fuels your soul with hope. Some of you need a fresh revelation of your future, of your destiny. Your circumstances may be dark right now, like in a cave. But we together are here. There are two kinds of people today. Those living in the cave and those who come to the entrance of the cave and go, let's go. Come on. And walk with you out of the cave. To have the Lord come to you and hold you in his hands and go, come on. Let me show you the future. Let me reveal to you, I am going to return and the future is so incredible. As for now, have a fresh revelation of what hope is. Hope is where the promises are. Hope is in the future. You are being drawn to it. You don't have to avoid it and hide from it. When you consider the future, is it scary or is it, oh, but there are promises. We need a people, church who will help in the midst of the chaos and the uncertainty to know, yes, this is very real right now, but I have a king. I have a king. And as for now, he has called us to live in a certain way. And musicians come out, prayer partners, elders, come out like now, super quick. Come out, spread across the front. This is what we're going to do today. Our closing in worship today, the first song we sing in, in our declaration this morning is, is King of Kings, because he's your king in every way. But look at what the first line of that song is. In the darkness we were waiting, without hope, without light. 
That is what we once were. Made him jump a mile then. Sorry, David, you're all good. That is what we once were, but now. We were waiting in the darkness without hope and without light. Till from heaven you came. And the story unfolds. So this song is a faith declaration of what has happened. It's a future calling to what is going to be. And it's a space for us to reflect and receive his hope, his love. Really to sit in it. So today, would you all stand? This is what we're going to do. If you've got any part of your life right now that is in a sense of despair, real uncertainty, even desolation, then you can leave exactly the same way you came in. But that'd be crazy dumb, foolish. You come out and you have someone alongside on earth and going, okay, you ready? Shall we turn to the Lord and ask for his hope to breathe in pure oxygen into our soul? For you to have a fresh revelation of the light of the world and his promises and the future and to leave here with your soul restored that you can live and you can breathe that's it. So prayer partners are going to be busy today because I don't know why 500 people wouldn't want that. But for many, there's an acute, there's an acute desperation, an acute desolation. Come. You're in the cave as people here saying, come out. Come. Let's declare this and declare this beauty. And as you're singing, go, oh, yes, Lord. Come get prayer with it. Add the extra dimension to it. Okay? Get singing. Stop me talking. Come on out.